0: Jordan, welcome back to episode 13 of The Big Life, week 13 of college soccer. And of course, a big one happened. My only question for you is, are you officially sick of me yet?
1: I am officially sick of you, Sam. Uh, Get out of here. I'm done with you. Two games was enough for me.
0: You know, I I thought just like hanging out for 180 minutes was a good time. I mean, we got to talk a bunch, a weird amount during the game. I felt like I got to learn about your weight room habits, a couple other things that I feel like I learned more about you in the game. But no, it's always, always a fun time hanging out with you and playing some soccer.
1: Absolutely. I mean, not going to lie, I enjoyed the first 90 significantly more than the second. And if you guys can't tell yet. Congratulations to Sam and Iowa as they advance to the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament. Knocked us out in a two-one win.
0: Yeah, I mean, I won't. I won't make you relive the game a little bit too much, even though I haven't personally stopped replaying it in my own head. But what what are your overall thoughts from the game? You know, what do you think the difference was in the two different games and those different aspects?
1: Yeah, I mean. I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to execution. You know, you play 90 minutes and we came out with the win 3-0 in the first round. And then, you know, a week later, it's a completely new game, completely new 90 minutes. You know, completely different scenarios. And you have to execute that just as well as you did the first. And I don't think we necessarily did that. Obviously, you guys had two back-to-back goals pretty much. A Fabulous nine minutes of soccer that ended up costing us our... Big 10 tournament run, you know, and, and that's on us. That's something we're going to have to dissect and look it through as we have two weeks here before you have the NCAA selection show and that first round tournament, um, looking forward into our season. So the, for the first time in my career, I'm kind of just sitting around training without a game for a while. Uh, it's a very, very weird scenario to be in, but, you know, I think we could use it. We could use a week to really be able to focus on us. And we're trying to take the positives out of that game, but, you know, I'm sure throughout this week we will fully dissect, you know, all of the tactical and technical differences that came from from our uh, matchup Sunday. But at the end of the day, like, you guys executed better. You came out. You put two goals in the back of the net. And, you know, props to you guys for You are a phenomenal defending team. You defend with your entire team in every area of the field. And you have some good counterattacks. And, uh, you know, we just – didn't match up that day.
0: You know, apparently, your guys
1: yeah,
0: I mean, apparently in Iowa, we just love defending. If you know anything about Iowa football, we're a defensive team, Iowa soccer, we play defense. Yeah. You know, for us, I think the biggest thing was it was a difference in mentality from the first time we played you guys. And the second time we played you guys, we did not come out like the Iowa soccer team that we know that we are the first time we played you guys. And I remember even having these conversations with you last week. And I was like, Nah, a different team's gonna show up because that that wasn't it for us. And frankly, we walked off at of your field embarrassed the first time we played, y'all, because we didn't play like us. And we're like, listen, no matter what happens, like if you win or lose a game, that's fine, but we want to play our soccer and we didn't. And the good thing for us is that gives you something to think about all week. You know, I feel like it's so much easier to have that kind of like revenge and that like grit in your stomach when you just failed and you're looking for a new opportunity to succeed. And that's what we had. And on top of that, you know, the difference between you and I in this game and not that it mattered in a sense. I know you guys didn't take us lightly by any sense of that means, but we were playing for our lives. So at halftime, when we're down one, nothing, it quite simply was, this is the 45 minutes left in your season, unless you do something about it. So when that's your halftime talk, like you want to run through a brick wall and I think we came out of the second half. And in those first nine minutes kind of showed that we were ready to run through a brick wall. So, I mean, I thought it was a great game. It was a gritty game. It was one of those ones that, you know, and obviously I can say this because we won, but I wouldn't even feel this way. I feel like if we lost, like it was just a fun soccer game between two teams who were trying their best. You know, there was hard tackles. There was big moments. There was just different things. And I thought like, that's the best soccer at the end of the day. So whether who came out on top, Iowa, um, it was fun soccer and, that, and that's just it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are my favorite games to play always is when you know someone on the team or you have a friend or a rivalry. It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, we were next to each other for 90 minutes. I love our little banter. It was a fun game to participate in. You know, it was unfortunate that that's the way it ended from a Michigan State standpoint. But yeah, I would I would absolutely love to do it again, um, even knowing the outcome. You know, those are those are the best games, you know, you can me and you will go off hard tackles. You know, there are sometimes where I'm on the ground, sometimes you're on the ground and one of us will be walking away, but you know, the very next play, you know, you're still laughing and smiling after the game giving you a big hug like either way. So I think that's, that's the biggest part of it. You know, being able to learn something from this loss, but still recognize and respect like soccer is fun and it was still fun, even though we lost. And I think that's a a big, a big takeaway because it isn't always like that, you know, but to have something bigger than winning and for you still enjoyed the actual game of it is uh, you know, it's unique and it's, it's a special feeling. Absolutely. So for those who don't know,
0: you know, obviously Jordan and I are in a bit of a different scenario right now. And there's a lot of stuff coming up in the next week from this point on that's going to set a lot of our futures. So. For myself, we play in the Big Ten semifinals on Thursday, so when this drops on the Big Ten network at 7.30 Eastern Time in Columbus, Ohio against the number four seed, but number six in the country, I believe, as of now, Penn State. So going to be a great game no matter what. Super excited for that opportunity to play Penn State. Last time, you know, it's two years ago, three years ago now, we were in the Big Ten tournament in the semifinals, and we upset Penn State, so it's going to be Fun little rematch of that game. I'm sure there'll be a lot of different energies from both teams out there. And like Jordan mentioned, you know, she's kind of waiting for the NCAA selection show. So the winner of the Big Ten tournament gets the automatic bid for the Big Ten. So even though Jordan and Nebraska were co-champions of the Big Ten, they don't have that automatic bid. It goes to the tournament winner. But there's at-large bids, you know, for those extra people trying to slide in because 64 teams get brought to the NCAA tournament. And that all goes down. The seating, the bracket will come out on Monday, November 6th of next week. So as much as we got Thursday to focus out, Jordan's already looking at Monday. And then we're going to be focused on Monday, depending on Thursday and Sunday's results, trying to figure out, you know, if we're in the tournament, where we're going, how we get that far.
1: Yeah, two very different scenarios. Um, you know, for right now, I'm a huge, huge Iowa fan. So you guys better go on and win it all now. After all of this, make repeat history from your sophomore year, and just you know, you know, give them. Can we say hell? Give them hell. Give them hell. <laughs> give them hell.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm super excited for the opportunity, and so you know, postseason is exhausting. I'm sure we both know this, you know, there's a lot going on, but I do have to shout out the girl who, who I feel like has harassed me for the last 180 minutes on a soccer field did somehow end up getting big 10 sportsmanship award for Michigan state. So I sent Jordan a little text. I'm like, this is ironic, right? Um, but no, no, there's simply no one more deserving. And I'm really, really happy for you.
1: Thank you so much. It was my plan all along. So now that I had this award and everyone thinks I'm so sportsmanlike, uh, they'll never believe you from all the shit talking we've done it wasn't me it just gaslights me exactly that was my plan all along but no it's a a huge honor it's something that you know I don't take lightly I think the quote that I love to live by is that talent puts you in rooms that only character can keep you in and to be recognized for that for something off the field for your character um you know it's it's a huge huge accolade and I'm I'm very very proud of it but now Miss Sam Carey who in episode three talked about never receiving a postseason award has received second team all Big Ten. And honestly, I mean, she keeps playing like she did against us on Sunday, putting two assists against us. I have no doubt she'll be on the tournament team as well. So congratulations, Sam, second team, all Big Ten. How do you feel?
0: You know, God, I was almost speechless when I found out just because it has been a long time coming, quite frank. My coach actually pulled me aside and gave me a quick hug and was like, dude, like this one, this one's been coming for you and we've known it. And so I'm so, so thankful. But that being said, like, you know, I know it all is down on like how you finish versus like how many girls you can get on all conference teams and stuff like that. So the only thing I was a little sad about is that I was the only Iowa girl. I feel like there's so many on our team, girls on our team who are so deserving, who, you know, play so well and do great things. But of course I'm happy, but I feel like my name could have been substituted with so many girls on our team. And, you know, at this point, like it's the end of regular season, but now we got, we got a postseason drive to make and that's, that's the fun of it all. And I'm super excited about that.
1: Absolutely. It's well-deserved for sure. So very, very proud of you. And then looking forward to this postseason run here. I mean, what's your guys' kind of mentality going in it? you know, you got Penn state, you got history on the line, you got all of this stuff going on. What do you, what's going through Iowa's mind? Yeah.
0: You know, there's so much, I think at the end of the day, right now, you know, yesterday, we were allowed to be excited today. We had our first practice back and it's time to go. And so we're no longer thinking about the Michigan state upset. We're talking about Penn state. And then even beyond that, you have an opportunity to play either Nebraska or Wisconsin. And those are two teams we've lost to this year. And so the revenge tour is back. That's what we called it a couple of years ago. We made our uh, tournament run is our revenge tour. And I think for us, it's just the idea of, you know, I heard something really crazy and I'm not doubting that it's you know true at all. Cause I totally trust the person I heard it from, but there's five programs apparently in the big 10 that have lifted a big 10 tournament trophy, which is just nuts when you say it like that and you realize like, Oh, like it's typically the same programs. And that being said, I was one of them. Uh, we've done it the one time in 2021. So that being said, why not us? You know, I feel like we're a team that thrives on kind of being that underdog, that little back alley fighter, as we love to say, it's a like style of soccer. We love to play. And, you know, we have Penn state, which I would say is frankly, very different soccer style than us, but we can thrive off that. And I think at this point, it's just a matter of leaving everything you have on the field at every given moment. Cause like we're just so lucky to be here right now. We've worked our butts off to be here. Don't get me wrong, but we're proud of ourselves. And so now it's enjoying those moments and just leaving it all in the field. And that's exciting. You know, our coach said something today at practice that's really stuck with me that I've never heard framed this way, but he was like, congratulations, guys. All of your hard work has led to the opportunity of even more hard work. You know, you don't get an automatic reward by working hard. It's not like you worked hard and here's the reward. It's an opportunity to work even harder. And that's a really cool way of framing it. And so I think we're just... We're looking forward to getting gritty and starting that hard work again.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look forward to watching this game. I think it will be a very, very good matchup. Two very talented programs. So it's a great mentality to have going into the postseason. And then Sunday they'll crown the Big Ten tournament champion. And then you look forward to the NCAA selection show coming up here, where you'll figure out where we're all placed. And uh, you know, kind of the rest of postseason. That's the last, last little bit to figure out. And then you know, season goes by fast, season goes by fast. And we say it every time, every week, we can't believe how far we've gotten, but it really is starting to come to a close here. I mean, at most you have, you know, nine games left.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy when you put it into perspective like that, like the road to the national championship is about nine games more. And it's frankly put, I firmly believe like everyone, when it comes to tournament, tournament time is talented. Every single team is good. It's a definition of who wants it more. And what are those little moments that are going to come up? Because it's just moments at this point. It's, you know, details. It's all those things. And so that's the fun part, though. That's where you can thrive. And that's the best part.
1: Absolutely. So it's been it's been a lot of fun, Sam. I am really, really sad that this was our last matchup. I mean, I it would be absolutely wild if we saw <laughs> NCAA. I NCAA. Iowa
2: draws Michigan State first round.
1: Let's go. I would have no doubt at this point that that's how that would go. So you know what? I take that back. <laughs> you know, I take it back. I'm not going to you know, count us out yet, but uh, it's been a lot of fun, you know, these past 180 minutes being on you and uh, it's been a lot of good matchups. I look forward to implementing some of the advice I got from our future guest here that you'll hear in a little bit so that, you know, next time maybe... Maybe I'll beat Sam in some of these races a little bit more.
0: So speaking of, we have an absolutely incredible guest for you guys. Erica Suter specializes in strength and conditioning for female soccer athletes. And I think it's just such a great perspective and a great conversation to be having. I know I learned a ton and I think, you know, younger girls, girls in college, parents, like this is a conversation for everyone. And so I hope you guys seriously enjoy this interview. I absolutely loved it. She's amazing. She has so much knowledge and I can't wait to share it with you all. So Erica Suter, thanks for coming on. So Jordan, I am so excited to introduce you today to one Miss Erica Suter. I've had the honor of hanging out with her and talking with her before with a couple girls soccer network things, but she is an absolutely incredible woman who's changing the women's soccer game. So she's a former All-American who has kind of made her life after playing soccer herself about giving back. She specializes in speed, agility, and and a strength coach based out in Tampa. And that really focuses on the young female soccer player. She's written a book. She conducts online and in-person trainings. And of course, has a new project that we're super excited to talk about a bit on this podcast as well. So Erica, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us.
2: Thanks for having me guys. I'm really excited to be here. That's awesome. First,
0: before we get into everything that you do, which it feels like it's so, so much, I want to talk a bit about you in a sense of, you had a great career at John Hopkins, played a bunch of amazing soccer, was an All-American. What made you want to kind of come back to the game in the manner that you do right now?
2: Well, I guess it started when I enrolled in speed, strength, and conditioning when I was in middle school. So what happened was back then, a lot of the strength programs were really promoted as getting bigger, faster, and stronger instead of, oh, reduce injury. Oh, prevent injury. It was more about high performance and chasing that first and not fearing injury and just becoming a beast. So when I heard about this summer strength camp, I was like, I want to do that so bad. I'm like ready to get an edge. I'm at the age where I'm getting really serious about soccer. I want to play in college and I just want to outrun my opponents. I saw girls on my team getting faster and they were doing camps like this. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. So when I did the camp, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with strength training. We did power cleans, deadlifts, uh, pull-ups, bench press, like all of it. And my strength coach, he was so good at getting us girls comfortable in the gym. And this was a time when it was mainly male strength coaches. But I really give it to these guys for encouraging girls to get under the iron. So that really inspired me. And I just kept strength training through the length of my career so high school and then in college and then after college and each year i just felt like i kept raising the standard of my game and i was really chasing peak performance and i just saw so many benefits obviously physically in my speed agility and conditioning but also just mentally as well and really gaining confidence but also learning discipline I think strength training is one of the most disciplined things you can do because you can't get better unless you're getting uncomfortable. So it's just like a really challenging stimulus and you really learn what you're made of through strength training. So when I finished playing, I decided to coach soccer in Brazil for a year and I fell in love with coaching there. And then when I came back, I was like, I really want to help girl soccer players get strong because I know what that type of training did for me. And I started that in 2013 and been doing it for almost over a decade. And it's gone by really fast, (laughs) but it's I just love it so much and just grateful to be doing it.
1: That's really really interesting. Um one of the things I always find really interesting is the difference in age where girls kind of start that process and kind of move through it. I know for me personally like I always did a whole bunch of sports like I did soccer, basketball and track throughout all of it. Um didn't really leave a lot of time for performance stuff like that outside. Like when my basketball team or soccer team was lifting, I was usually in another sport at that time. So I didn't really touch any weight until I got to college, which didn't go well uh, when I first started. Let me be honest. Like I was trying to do the bar and it was barely moving. Uh, So that was definitely a learning curve once I got to college. But in your opinion, what age would you say girls should kind of start this process with strength and conditioning and how frequently should they be lifting or running or things of that nature?
2: I usually recommend middle school on average age like 12 to 13. But it also depends on the maturity of the athlete. So a 12-year-old girl might not be emotionally ready to get in the gym, and she's not going to be behind if she starts at age 13. She'll pick pick up on it pretty quickly. So I think there's a physical and emotional maturity level needed. But I would say if you do start in high school and college, then you do have a lot of catching up to do just because your motor skill learning happens in those like growth spurt years (laughs) because your brain is so plastic and you soak everything in and you can really acquire skills a lot easier. Um, But yeah, I would say middle school is what I usually recommend. And for like the younger ones, like you said, you played multiple sports. I think that's really good for the young ones. I call them the munchkins. So like elementary schoolers, (laughs) and I think it's great for them to just get this global set of skills like coordination, balance, body awareness, and what better way to get that than dabble in multiple sports. And I will always call out the people who support early specialization. I think there's an overwhelming amount of research that it's not healthy for young athletes um, from an overuse standpoint, but also from a mental burnout standpoint. I mean, The literature is overwhelming, but no one really takes the time to look at it, except us performance coaches. Um, But I do include all that in my next book. And I think athletes, if they can sample a lot young, then they're going to have all these foundational skills to eventually enter a performance program and do really well with it by middle school. You know,
0: something really unique I feel about the space that you're in and Contrary to Jordan, I actually started you know, learning about the weight room, that kind of stuff when I was in eighth grade. And it was just something I'd been exposed to. And I found a really great trainer who did a lot for me throughout my entire career. That being said, you're not walking in as that eighth grader and being like, all right, let's deadlift. Let's do all these power cleans, like all these things without the foundation. So can you go into like the timeline? You know, You can't just walk into a weight room and say, all right, I'm going to rep out all these crazy sets right now. Can we talk about like the form and all that kind of basics that it takes to build up before you get into the elite level movements?
2: Yes, I'm glad you brought this up. So uh, in terms of long-term physical development, I like to compare it to the education system. So we start in kindergarten, then first grade, and then we go to middle school, high school, college, and then we start writing dissertations and become PhDs. So (laughs) you would never have a kindergartner write a PhD. So it's like, why would we enroll our eight year old girl soccer player in an advanced speed program where she's doing 30 inch box jumps? So it it seems like we're missing the mark with physical development, which is kind of scary because we want to look out for the safety of the child where they're at in their maturity and their physical development. So when we put it that way, with that analogy, parents are like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) But everyone just wants to rush now and everyone wants to get on that ECNL team and, get the scholarship, but it's like, well, at the expense of what your child training, like a pro young and overusing and increasing injury risk, is it really worth it? So there's a lot of patience that goes into this process. And like you said, in, in eighth grade, you're not doing heavy deadlifts right off the bat. You might be starting at just a body weight hip hinge and hanging out at that for four to six weeks. Some athletes might move on sooner. And if you have a good strength coach, they'll know when to progress that at the appropriate time. So usually in middle school, you are starting with mainly body weight movements and then slowly adding load, whether it's with um, resistance bands would be the next step, dumbbells, kettlebells, and then barbells are the next step, usually with like the
1: high school girls and,
2: and in college as well.
1: So you talked a lot about kind of like injury and preventing that as you go through this process of learning your strength and conditioning. What are some of the key things that you can apply to prevent this as much as possible as you go through this process? Is it simply working on your form? Or are there additional steps you should take as you go through this?
2: Yeah. So when we're teaching form, we just want to focus on the big rocks. So um, for like a squat, for example, we want to make sure athletes aren't like falling forward. And it's like really obvious that they're so far on their toes or their spine is so curved and they can't control their, their core or their trunk area. So Uh, just really want to focus on the big rocks. And then once they can get those things down, then it's like, okay, you'll, you'll know when you look at it, when you want to progress and, and add weight to that, um, or like something like a deadlift, you don't want them like really rounding their back and setting up their low spine for an injury and really making sure that they're doing the movement where they're really piking the hips back making sure the hamstrings are contracting, they're working their glutes as well, they're keeping good posture, their core is strong. So there's like a couple of things that I look for before athletes have to move on in in the weight room. And then in terms of just injury prevention for sport, I, I like to call it more injury reduction because we can't fully prevent injuries. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen some of the strongest athletes still tear their ACL, right? But there there's so many factors involved in that. What was the playing surface? Did she sleep four hours before the night before? Did she just have a banana for breakfast, <laughs> which is really pathetic. <laughs> so there, there's so many things. I mean, altitude, uh, different environments, um, a lot of uncontrollable, but also controllable factors. But we do want to focus on what we can control the best we can to mitigate injury risk. But I like to focus more on okay, let's focus on high performance first. So let's get really strong. Let's get you fast and agile for the position that you're playing. And your injury reduction will be a nice byproduct of that. So if you're a really fast athlete and you can run the fastest sprint on the team, That means you have really strong hamstrings. Your hamstrings are really firing, which also means you have more stable knees. So it's like we want to tell our girls hey, performance first, and then don't even like worry about injury so much. Just become the best athlete you can be. And I think that would be better for our girls because now they're just kind of told, oh, well, you're broken, you're a female. You have wide hips, you have a larger Q angle, you are more susceptible to ACL. It's like, why are we telling our girls this? Like, let's just tell them, hey, get fast, strong, and agile and conditioned, and everything else will work out. But if it doesn't, and you get an ACL tear and you're unlucky, was that hard work a waste? No, it wasn't. I mean, it sucks that you're going through the injury, but it's like you still learn how to chase high performance. And I think that's really valuable too. That's a
0: really, really awesome take, I think, on just performance as a female athlete in general. And one thing I would love to ask you your opinion on or what you would say is early in my college career, I would definitely hear girls in a Division One college setting being afraid to lift weight because it would make them look bulky. You know, there's a lot of stigma about there's a certain physique and we can't do a certain thing because of the appearance. What would you say to that athlete who's kind of struggling with the oh, I want to get stronger, but like, I I may not like what that comes with that kind of mentality.
2: It's crazy. You still hear that,
1: right? Like, do
2: Jordan, do you still hear
1: that sometimes? Or have you heard that? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much like every time we would hit arms, um, we would, you know, get some comments like that. Especially, I mean, I personally live with a couple of gymnasts who are so much stronger, but you know, a lot of times when you're trying to dress up or something, they'll be like, oh, like, you know, I'm too strong. And you're like, what the heck? Like I would kill to look like you. But yeah, I definitely hear that all the time with an athletes. you know, both soccer and gymnastics that I've been surrounded by.
2: Yeah, I try to reframe this question to a lot of girls that say that. And, and I like to give um, Serena Williams uh, as an example. So Serena Williams' body composition, she would be considered extremely muscular, but she's the best in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like her body composition, which is her, her muscle mass, um, the right amount of fat mass, because as women, we need fat mass as well to protect our organs. She has the perfect amount for the level she wants to perform at and everything she's accomplished. Um, I would even say Abby Wambach as well, uh, Alex Morgan, uh, Sydney LaRue, Megan Rapino. I mean, they all have different body types. But for their position and their demands, it works for them. And I think every girl needs to realize that their body is going to be different than the girl standing next to them. Uh, their position is different, how they put on muscle mass, where they store fat and water is going to be different for everyone. And it really comes down to, again, coming back to focusing on performance, is your body composite composition giving you high performance? Are you your fastest? Do you see yourself improving your speed times? Can you last the final minutes of the game and plow through double overtimes and still be strong? Are you getting pushed off the ball or can you hold your own and to really focus on that? And I've heard an RD, a registered dietitian say a few weeks ago, a lot of female athletes will have a body composition that they might not like but it's going to help them to perform better. When I was playing college soccer, I weighed, I think I was at 140 to 150 pounds. But when I was playing that worked for me, but now I'm not running as many miles or doing as many sprints. So it's it's a little bit different. So I just tell girls focus on performance and then it could go the other extreme. If you're like too thin, you'll know, like your energy will be really low. Um, Your hormones might be off. You might have a missed period. You might have a lot of musculoskeletal injuries. I see a lot of like stress fractures in girls with low energy availability and who are not muscular enough to play. And, And that's a problem. And We need to focus on performance first, but also the health of the athlete too.
0: I think this brings up a really important question that I want to tap into real quick. How would you say is one of the best ways to measure these things? You know, I hear a lot of time of girls getting caught up in how much they weigh to compare to other girls or things like BMI, which we know can be extremely skewed with muscle rate and stuff like that. You know, as someone who's learning more about this field, how would you like, you know, there's an accountability of tracking certain things, but- what might be one of the better ways to do that?
2: The, the BMI is a tough one because it's, yeah, it's not always accurate. And then we have to take like water weight into account. And that's like very different during certain weeks of your menstrual cycle. And, you know, you can't really help it. But um yeah, I usually tell girls stay away from the scale unless like you yourself can handle it. I think some girls can be like really obsessive about it, but then some girls can like step on and be like, ah, whatever but that's like a rare percentage of people. (laughs) So just know yourself, if you know you're gonna freak out then why would you like step on it? (laughs) Um, So some things you could measure if you want something like more accurate would be, I mean, a a lot of college programs have like DEXA scans and different ways to get your um, lean muscle mass which I think is really valuable. So looking at your, your body fat percentage and then lean muscle mass percentage is, is really good. That's going to tell you a lot more than just the weight on the scale. And then you also want to look at your performance measurements too. So, um, maybe your, your top end speed, how fast you can run, um, at your fastest miles per hour. That's a really good one. And I think performance measurements motivate us more than like stepping on the scale, <laughs> So I like to use that a lot with my female athletes is we always measure our speed times and then we're always tracking our strength numbers, which is, I, I know a lot of college programs do that. You have like your own sheets and you track each week. So just like pay attention to those and it kind of gives you a little bit more sanity and you kind of ignore, ignore the scale and you still focus on, okay, am I doing well to play the game?
1: Yeah. We've talked about kind of these peak performances, and especially when it comes to speed. I think that's the biggest thing I hear a lot of my teammates talking about, especially like, we want to be faster. Um, You know, it's a huge part of the soccer game. So let's say um, I want to be faster than Sam Carey. How would I go about doing so? And then the other thing that follows up with that is a lot of girls, I think, struggle with the timeline where they're not seeing results immediately. So what's the timeline you would expect to kind of see these changes within your performance? Um, And how do you go about managing those expectations as you go through a program?
2: Well, my first question is when you guys were playing each other, who was faster? (laughs) Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's why you're asking. (laughs) Will you guys play each other again? Probably not. (laughs) Oh, okay. I was going to privately give Jordan my tips. (laughs) Oh, okay. I see. (laughs) it's. All right, so uh, my next question is how many times a week do you guys practice your soccer skills
1: or with Uh, your team? Six days a week, but five days of practice and then a game or two games.
2: So a a really significant amount. So Mm -hmm. with speed, it is just as advanced of a practice as our technical skills, our, our tactical skills and everything we do with the team and on our own with the ball. So I know that a lot of girls' schedules are so busy between uh, high school, ECNL, college. It is hard to fit in speed work, but if you really want to improve, then I would say a minimum of two to three times a week in the off season when games kind of cut back, and then if you can maintain that one time a week during the season, and you can even do it as warm up to a practice. Um, because speed speed training is not enough to to get you sore. It's really enough to just excite the nervous system, get the muscles ready to play. So you can always squeak it in as a warm up. And speed training sessions don't have to be an hour long, (laughs) you don't need to be like running the whole time. That that would be more like conditioning, but speed training, every drill should be less than six seconds in length because we want to to train the energy system that allows for fast twitch muscle recruitment and high power output. So we're doing less than six seconds of max effort intensity um, through jumps, uh, hops, all your plyometric drills, And then we also do mechanics drills. So a really fast high knee is so valuable for soccer players. Um, A lot of soccer players butcher high knees. (laughs) Um, It kind of just looks like they're just like jogging (laughs) and they're not really driving the knee up enough and to really increase speed, we need to have that high knee drive up to the hip so that we can hit the ground and produce more force. So we really want to focus on the intensity of these drills, but also the technique. And then we also do sprints and our sprints are also less than six seconds in length. Once we go beyond that six seconds, then we get into more of a conditioning effect. So we definitely want to keep it below that. And again, max effort after a 30 yard, 40 yard sprint, you should be so out of breath that you need a five minute rest after that to like regroup, (laughs) like you should have emptied the tank. You should have fired the central nervous system and run at your hardest and gone for your fastest time. And then you rest, you stand around, and then you go again. And I usually recommend within speed sessions to do at least like two to three sprints. So start there. And if you just do that and go at max effort for even just three months time, you will make a noticeable improvement by just sprinting. A lot of soccer players don't reach that over 30-yard distance in the game. We're in small-sided games at practice. Um, Even like our outside midfielders rarely get a 30-yard sprint, maybe on a a counterattack or tracking back, but it happens so rarely that they're not getting a top-end speed stimulus in the game. So to get that stimulus, we have to move that aside to a separate speed session. So if you just do that, Jordan, (laughs) then you are good to go. And it's funny. A lot of people are like, well, that sounds really straightforward. And it is, but not a lot of people stick with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, you're talking about like a three month period where you're seeing these results. I think people, a lot of times they go, you know, maybe a month. And then they don't see the results they want and they kind of give up on it. So managing those expectations, I think is a huge part of all of these categories that you see kind of athletes, um, they they give up too quickly before they see the results they want.
2: Yeah, three months is usually a good time to adapt to a program and get better. And I've seen girls... Increase their uh, top end mile per hour by one to one and a half miles per hour, and in soccer, that's really significant. That's a step or two blowing by a defender. So it seems
1: small, but
2: it's a a big difference.
1: Sweet. So Sam's gonna have to take her eighth year now, so that you know next time we play (laughs) each other, blow it by. Do like one on ones on the the weekend.
0: (laughs) See, gonna meet up halfway between Michigan and Iowa just just to do some. (laughs) There we
1: go. I'm
0: in. Okay. So there's a term that I did not learn until I went to college. And I feel like it just comes up about eight times in my day. And I'm sure Jordan does as well. And you mention it in your new book, load management. Can you explain about what load management is and how, especially in the club setting where there's about 18,000 things going on in a girl's life and games from every month, how can you even expect to have load management in this setting?
2: That's the billion dollar question, right? <laughs> And I I've talked to so many coaches about this and even like load management experts. And a lot of them are like, we have no clue. <laughs> and it, it's crazy. Cause when all of us were growing up playing, we didn't, I, I remember we only practiced like twice a week and then like one game on the weekend. Now it's like high school, ECNL girls practice like four or five times a week. So it's, it's completely changed, but load management, um, There's a couple of definitions. So a lot of people would think it's cutting back on playing time, um, sitting players out, but it's also making sure we have an off season so we can build players up to handle the load that's about to come. So we can't really change the college schedule right now. You guys are playing two games a week? Yep. Yeah, two games a week, practicing like four or five. Yep. Or five of yeah. And, and it's a division one, two, II, and three, I think are, are doing that. So, and, and ECNL as well. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So we can't change those schedules as much as I would want to. So our only option is to have a couple months set aside leading up to that, where we don't have games and we're truly preparing girls to handle that amount of mileage, but also the context of that mileage. So maybe one player is running like 30 to 40 sprints a game or doing like 40 plus decelerations. We have to prepare the player for that in the off season to, to be ready for that. And it has to be a gradual buildup too. I think the biggest mistake in load management is day one of off season, everyone's running suicides right away. <laughs> And there's no like deload or tapering period from the spring season. So there needs to be at least a two to three week tapering period. And then we kind of start off general in that first month of off season training where we're just doing linear tempo runs. And we're just taking it really easy on the joints, really minimal change of direction and then the second month, we start to progress that maybe with shorter rest times. And then as we get closer to preseason, that's when we're doing like the harder change of direction stuff. So load management is just really having a plan in place. (laughs) You know, you can't, you can't wing your off season program. And too many times I see girls kind of like going out to the field and just being like, all right, I think I'm going to jog, you know, an 800 meter and then maybe run some like suicides. And I'm like, well, there's no rhyme or reason. Like, why are you doing that? Like, (laughs) what's the progression? (laughs) So, um, I think that's the, the best definition of load management. It's not necessarily cutting back minutes, but it's more so preparing our players to to be ready for the type of load that's
1: to come when you end your fall season would you recommend should we still be like working out immediately after this fall season or is there like a period of time where you just kind of strictly rest because I've heard kind of mixed things about it where you need a period of time where you literally like not do nothing but do nothing hard or serious for a undesignated amount of time before you get back into it and then build back up? Or do you think you should just kind of like continue that momentum from fall as you go through this off season without kind of that rest period?
2: After every season, I think a two to three week rest is great, but rest meaning we don't try to three rep, one rep max in the gym. Um, We don't need to do conditioning because we just came off of all those games. So anything that isn't what you just did. Um, So it could mean just maybe doing like stationary bike training. So non-impact, but you're still moving, you're still staying conditioned and you're not just like plopping on a couch (laughs) and just becoming sedentary. You're, You're still moving, but it's in a way that's relaxed um your cortisol is not going too high and you're still getting the blood flowing and stimulating but it's like not a crazy stress response. So yeah, usually two two weeks at a minimum is a good taper period and then you can start building up again. And I think that's like one of the biggest problems especially in the ECNL space. It seems like it's worse than the Division 1 college space because A lot of girls will have ECNL pretty much the whole year. And then like overlapping that, they have their high school team. So it's like, okay, when do we have time to actually taper and then go again and build up? And that's like the problem I'm trying to solve. And a lot of performance coaches are, but it is really hard because we don't know who's controlling the schedule and like why they're doing it but it's, it's really frustrating. So I wish I had an answer for the ECNL girls, but it is, it's not easy nowadays. It's it's getting intense. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and one of the biggest questions
0: that, you know, from my own experience I had for you as well is the female body is weird. I feel like we can all say that in a lot of ways. Um, Talking about menstrual cycle, can you tap into, I know this is like a huge dissertation topic at some sorts, but like, What are the certain ways that that impacts soccer and what should girls know about their menstrual cycle and how that kind of attaches to performance in a lot of ways?
2: I love this topic because there's a lot of talk about it now. And I get it because there's more research coming into the space. The U.S. women's team had Don Scott doing all the tracking. And that was like the big news on like Good Morning America many World Cups ago and they they did well with it but i i really like the approach of with the menstrual cycle not being bitter about it or afraid you know that my period's coming but more so being proactive about it and just trying to have balanced hormones and good health year-round like too often I hear, oh well, during you know the week before your period you need to up your omega threes and you need to have magnesium and it's like those are nutrients you should be getting year round. <laughs> like you should be having your omega threes all the time for joint health, heart health, uh, brain function, your hormonal health. I mean your hormones are made up of fats and cholesterol, so you you need that. <laughs> um, so it's like why would you reserve one week to just like be healthy and take care of yourself? Your hormones and your menstrual cycle thrives off of consistency. So if you want a more regular menstrual cycle, um, you want to have less painful periods or you want to avoid PMS, which is actually possible. I used to not think this was, but you can really manage a lot of those PMS symptoms by doing your best year round to have Certain nutrients to just really help your hormones. So omega-3s um, from fish and um, avocados and our oils, like olive oils, are really good for female athletes. And then our magnesium. Uh, magnesium is hard to get from food. So sometimes I do suggest like working with an RD for a po- possible supplement. Um, And it's, it's great for hormones, but also for like good sleep as well. And a lot of sleep can be disrupted during certain phases of the cycle and just also ensuring adequate protein intake. (laughs) I think that's half the battle with, with female hormones and we need to make sure girls are getting at least 20 to 30 grams of protein a meal, but sadly, a lot of them are getting like 10 to 15 grams a meal and that's really not good for our recovery during our menstrual cycle and those like harder weeks (laughs) and it's also not good for our mood (laughs) if we don't have enough protein we are going to have mood swings. (laughs) And that, that is not fun. You guys all know, like when you feel yourself about to PMS, you're like, Oh, I feel off. I feel like the world's like crashing down, but if you get enough protein, you can like really offset that. So yeah, I tell girls to be really proactive with the menstrual cycle and it's the same messaging. Don't fear injury because we also don't know for sure which phase impacts injury risk the hormonal profile of every female athlete is going to be so different even on a a team of, of 30 girls like there's no way we can ever get anyone on the same page like our bodies are way too complicated we live in different environments even within our own team we have very different lifestyles so it's really up to the individual athlete to take control of their health And again, focus on high performance. Don't, don't fear injury. Don't see being female as a crutch. That's the menstrual cycle thing is almost like the wide hips thing. It's like, oh, well you have wide hips and it's like, oh, you have a menstrual cycle.
1: Like you're screwed. It's like, no, you're not like you can do things. Yeah, that's re- that's really interesting cuz I mean, you know, guilty like I've definitely been times where I'm like, oh no, like I'm a little nervous to maybe play today or like do things cuz I I know I'm on my menstrual cycle and uh, you know, knowing that there's a higher risk of injury. So that's that's a really interesting take and I think it's, you know, important that we focus on the healthier round instead of just the week. Yeah, you know, that was I think definitely probably hit home for a few people, I know probably me. <laughs> uh, there's,
2: there's some interesting research um so there's a lot of people now saying the potential for injury is not necessarily always that week before the period or during your period, like the quote unquote worst times. It could also be in the phases where we feel great because our testosterone's higher. We have higher outputs on the field. And anytime we run faster or we change direction faster, that's a lot more force to our knee so it could be happening during the phases where we're like rocking it out so it's like we just like don't know
1: <laughs> I have a, a bit of like a, a personal question here so when I was in high school I found out that I had spondylolisthesis. I don't know if you know what that is but uh basically like I had broken two of my vertebrae in my back and it kind of shifted a bit Because of that, I've been struggling ever since to figure out a good way to lift and still maintain my strength while also preventing any further injury to my back. And a lot of that comes from like being a soccer player needing to want to squat, you know, go heavy on the legs, but not wanting to load your shoulders and back with it. How would you, you know, any advice for being able to manage both the injury aspect, but also still trying to get strong and fast and go through these strength and conditioning process.
2: Yeah. Anyone who has any sort of back issue or chronic back issue, I don't think back squats are a great idea. And I, even with my athletes who don't have back issues, I don't really do back squats <laughs> because you can, you can get really strong by doing more unilateral training. And that's even better for soccer players because a lot of the stuff we do on the field is on one leg and that's where injuries occurs on one leg So I'm not the biggest fan of um, standing on two feet and doing a back squat, but, um, for you, I would say focusing on front loading the squat, um, whether it's with like a, you know, heavy dumbbell or, um, a bar in the front, because that's going to get your core a lot more and kind of take the focus off your back and, unilateral training is really good for back issues as well. So you could do um, like your split squats, your rear foot elevated split squats, uh, pistol squats, single leg RDLs as well are really great. Anytime you can really strengthen the hamstrings on one leg is so good for, for the low back. So I would say just don't load anything on the spine directly. And the good news is there's a ton of movements that you can do that aren't that.
0: Okay. So one thing I think Jordan and I really want to know about, we are in postseason. our bodies have gone through 18 games, a bunch of craziness. Recovery is key right now. What are some of the best ways, you know, you hear about all these different modalities and, but also sleep and also do this. So like, what is the keys in your opinion to recovering for these turnovers week by week?
2: Definitely sleep and nutrition first. So those are like the base of the recovery pyramid. I, I have a whole like pyramid that I draw up for my athletes, but it's the uh, sleep and nutrition. Um, the next step is have off days or active recovery days where you're just like going for a walk or light bike ride. And then the top of the pyramid, it's the least important. It's the smallest part, but that's like your icing on the cake. So that would be like, your cold therapy, your massage, your, your ice baths, like all the modalities that you're probably thinking of like Theragun, whatever you guys use. (laughs) Um, So if you don't have like the sleep and nutrition, then the recovery methods at the top, like the cold therapy and massage, they're not going to be as effective because the, the sleep and nutrition is where the muscles repair. So when, when we go to bed, we release growth hormone, which allows our muscles to repair and then be okay for the next day. Our brain also recovers during sleep so that we can focus and stay sharp and make decisions on the field. And then with our nutrition, protein is key um, getting carbohydrates back in the body to really build the muscles up again, but then also making sure you're getting healthy fats. And just like really working on having good joint, uh, joint health and, and heart health. And also fats are really good for brain function uh, as well, because your brain is made up of mostly fat. It's like 70% fat. So just making sure you're getting all the macronutrients. And then once you got that, then, okay, we need to make sure we're having off days. <laughs> um, I usually recommend one to two days off if you can, uh, where you don't have any games or practices, or you see skills trainers, you have to give your body a physical break, but also the mental break is more so what I'm worried about. Because I think a lot of girls are in this like constant, like fight or flight. Oh, I have soccer. Oh, I have this obligation. And that's not sustainable. (laughs) Even if we love it, you can grow to hate or be burnt out from something you love. If you don't, chill out some days. So get those off days and then you can start to add those icy on the cake recovery methods. So I'm a big fan of ice baths. Even just if you don't have an ice bath, a cold shower, I know it sounds crazy, but just turn the shower cold for 30 seconds. And that's going to really help reduce inflammation in the body. And it also kind of gives you some energy again, um, so it's a, a really valuable tool, especially to use on the road, because you don't have access to your like state of the art facilities and athletic trainers and all that you you're in a hotel. So just turn the shower cold and have fun. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. So those are really valuable and um, foam rolling's is great. Um, free massage, cheapest massage you can ever get. And then if you have a Theragun, that's going to help as well, especially on those away games. But if you have poor nutrition or you're sleep-deprived, you cannot out-ice, out-cryotherapy, out-massage your poor lifestyle. You, should, you just can't. It will catch up to you.
0: Okay, so you have a second book dropping. You've already wrote one. I've read it. It's incredible. I actually ordered it and read it before I even knew you, which is one of my favorite flexes, because I was looking. I'm like, oh, I love this. Okay.
2: What's book two about? Give us all the inside scoop on it. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for reading. (laughs) Glad you liked it. So, um, well, book one was more um, the research behind performance training for female athletes. So it was very science-based, anecdotal-based, and it was an intro to, okay, why is performance training good for female athletes? Why do they need to get stronger, faster, more conditioned? Why do they need to focus on nutrition and recovery and all these things? So the second book is about three times the size. So it's like a textbook (laughs) because it's more of the practical application. So inside of it, there's um, a lot of like pictures and, and there's a video library as well on exercises to do and also training workbooks for off season and in season so that you can actually apply all this stuff. And I really wrote it for girls who haven't really started performance training or who don't have access to it. And they just want a workbook to always carry with them or have like nutrition and meal plans and recovery circuits laid out for them. So it's more of that that practical application, like time to take action. Like we know the research now, so let's get
1: after it. Absolutely. so your your target demographic is going to be girls that are looking to continue playing athletics kind of in that middle school high school going into college range.
2: Yeah, and I, I would even say it's really valuable for college athletes as well. Um, the So the first half of the book is physical performance, so more of that practical application of the workouts and everything. And then the second half of the book is all mental performance. So, um, a couple of the chapters I wrote are, um, how to handle team drama, how to handle comparison, uh, navigating social media, um, how to overcome mistakes, how to get out of a playing rut. That was a big one. Cause we've all like had playing ruts where it's like, oh, nothing's going my way for like 10 weeks straight, like every bad pass, like hitting it out of bounds. So like, I love writing that chapter. Oh, how to build confidence unshakable confidence. And yeah, those are a few I can think off the top of my head, but a lot of people are like more excited for the mental half than the physical half I'd imagine. So it's for everyone. That's amazing. I mean,
0: honestly, even like, I remember for me when I was really going into college athletics and I got my own apartment. So I was out of the dorms. I'm like, what is a meal plan? Like, what should I have in a meal plan and trying to Google it and all those things. So having that there, plus all this other stuff, like I cannot imagine how beneficial that that would be for so many athletes of all spans and ages.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting it now for me, you know, at this point in my life even, because I mean, we can all benefit from upgrades in every aspect of your life. I mean, you hear the quote all the time, like soccer or athletics is like a 90% mental, 10% physical. Um, So to have something that encompasses the entire picture of all of that in one spot, I think is really, really beneficial to athletes of all ages.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. And just kind of coming back to where we began the conversation, it's, it's called Female Athlete High Performance. And I really want the message in this book to just inspire girls, chase high performance. Let's not focus on doing these cute little injury prevention programs. Like you really just need to become bigger, faster and stronger and become the best athlete you can be and not feel you know, like you're a victim because, you know, you have wider hips or you're a girl or you have hormones. It's like, there's a lot we can do about that. If we focus on the right things first and that's performance. So for the
0: athlete that wants to become bigger, faster, stronger, they don't know how, what would your number one advice be for someone in any span like that?
2: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, I mean, I would say if you, if you can get into a performance program, there's so many performance facilities just everywhere across the country and world now. And it's great because a lot more girls are starting to get into the gym. And I would encourage girls who want to do a performance program, make sure you do it in a group setting because you, you really have to learn how to compete and you have to learn how to go against people better than you. And that's one thing, like when I was growing up, I, I entered into a co-ed performance program and I loved it. I mean, the girls challenged me, the guys challenged me, and it was just all these athletes just trying to raise the bar. So I really recommend like putting yourself into an environment where you are uncomfortable, but you can be competitive because that's the only way we can become high performers.
0: Okay. So I was going to try to wrap up this interview. And then I just thought of a question that I would have loved to ask when I was 12. So we're not doing that anymore, apparently. Um, Okay. I, like I said, I started lifting when I was in eighth grade. And lifting, speed performance, all those things is not a linear path, as we've kind of talked about. There is going to be days where you're hitting crazy PRs and you're feeling great about yourselves. And then there's days that 45-pound bar feels like it's about 1800 pounds. What would you say about failure in the weight room in the strength and conditioning setting? And what does that mean?
2: I mean, you nailed it. It's not, it's not going to be linear. And I, I always compare it to just your soccer play. I mean, you have games where you're just not on. And then you have games where you're so in the zone and so locked in and everything's just amazing. (laughs) So it's, yeah, it's just going to be a journey. And I always tell my girls like, look at where you started like day one, when you walked in the gym or we got your first speed time, like look at those numbers, like along the way, you're going to see like some like peaks and valleys, but like, where are you right now? Is it better than that first number? And yeah, it is, which is great. So we don't wanna necessarily look at like everything like on the uh, micro level, like week to week, but like look macro, okay, what happened on day one and where are you at month three? So I encourage girls just don't get caught up in like the week to week numbers, focus on the workouts each week and give your all. But then over time, like you need to like zoom out And just look at your progress over the long run
1: yeah it seems like between everything we've talked about from your speed training to your weight training to your nutrition to all of that the biggest message has kind of been consistency and how important that is in your process so even if it's not your best day and you're not lifting as heavy as you would have liked still showing up in the gym and getting the work is I I think a huge part of just that process and being able to stick with it even if you're not seeing results as quick as you may have liked so any girls who kind of want to see this progress and do all this and uh you know get this awesome book how would they go about doing so where do we find it how do we you know how do we get bigger faster stronger through through your program here
2: i'm mainly hanging out on instagram and twitter at fit soccer queen so pretty easy to remember (laughs) and yeah feel free to message me at any time and you'll definitely see like a countdown as the book starts to release it's most likely going to release end of this year, December 2023, when this comes out. So um, stay tuned. (laughs) That
0: is awesome. Well, Erica, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I know I learned a ton. And so I'm so excited to share this with our community in so many different aspects. You are absolutely incredible. And it has been an honor to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Erica, for coming on. I mean, that truly was incredible. I learned so much. Um, hopefully you guys did too listening to this. There's just so many ways that you can improve both you know, your mental aspect, your nutrition, your health um, to to your physical performance on the field and being able to utilize all components of that is something super beneficial. And I know I'm really looking forward to your book coming out and being able to, to read that and utilize the next steps in this. So thank you so much for coming on. It really meant a lot. And I learned a lot.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I can totally say when I started taking, you know, nutrition and strength conditioning and actually putting it into my game, I saw so many differences and I learned so much in that interview as well. So it's definitely something that you can't know enough about and starting young is fantastic. So, so happy for all the young girls that listen to this, you know, parents, everyone that could tune into this. i think it's an amazing guest and we're so thankful to have Erica on. So Jordan, I would say, let's talk about next week. I know it's been a motions for you, but NCAA selection show on November 6th is probably the next thing on your calendar. What are you feeling about that?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a mix of everything's out of our control now. The only thing we can do is just train as hard as we can for these next two weeks going into it and hope that people see Michigan state for the program it's become, you know, I think the previous years, maybe we were not given the respect we deserve. Everyone thought it was a fluke at this point. I think hopefully everyone's looking at this with knowing that this is what Michigan state is. We're here to stay. We are a soccer program that is one to, to compete. We're going to compete and we're going to compete at a high level. So that's what you're, you're hoping for, but we can only control what we can control. And uh, you know, postseason's a, a whole new beast. And, you know, we got, two weeks now to figure it out with the selection show coming up how are you guys feeling though I mean I would assume you guys pretty much with that win have not guaranteed but you're you're looking pretty good here for the NCAA selection show so how are you guys feeling with that coming up along with you know your Penn State game
0: yeah you know you hope that our resume a left speaks for itself especially with our win on Sunday and you know, I definitely hope that that's enough. And if it's not, I'm expecting a great performance on Thursday and shock the world again. Why not? With that being said, I mean, for me, our last at-large tournament bid was in 2019. And then in 2020, we got the automatic bid for winning the tournament. And so to come full circle and freshman year, get that at-large bid, and then hope that fifth year we get it as well. I will be so emotional if we hear our name called. And I'm just, I'm so looking forward to that moment and that gratification for everything that this program's been through for the last five years that I've been a part of it and beyond it's it's remarkable frankly and you know why not shock the world I didn't realize that this is such a crazy stat and it's somewhat hard to believe but I heard somewhere that only five programs in the Big Ten have lifted a Big Ten tournament trophy which is crazy because there's 14
1: but programs win it every year
0: yeah and I was one of them we got our one in 2021 so At the end of the day, if five programs have done it and we're one of five, why not us? And I think that's the mentality that we get to go into this weekend. We play at 730 in Columbus, Ohio against Penn State. And then the winner of that game goes on to the Big Ten Championship on Sunday in Columbus, Ohio. So the one side of the bracket is us versus Penn State. And the other side is Nebraska versus Wisconsin. So good games all around. And I'm excited to see what's going to come out of it for the future.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see maybe two upsets here and you against Emma Jaskinick. What Um, what can we say there? I mean, we just got to bring a fullback podcast. I mean, if that comes true, I think we really just have to think about this power this podcast has and prepare better for next year because like- Everyone's going to want to be on. It's that simple. I mean, yeah, we would have to really just like cut down the guest list and get more VIP with it. It's not the word I was looking for, but I'm going to stick with it.
0: I love Um, it. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. Tune in this week to the Big Ten tournament, and we will keep you updated on all things NCAA selection show next week going into the NCAA tournament. It's a crazy time of year, and we're so thankful, y'all. So soccer on.
1: Go kick butt, Sam. See you guys.